Welcome to this week's message. We hope you enjoy this teaching from Pastor Chris Dirksen, the Executive Pastor here at Southland Church. For more information about this message and other resources, visit MySouthland.com. Morning, everybody. I'm going to keep going in Romans here. In the uh, first 14 messages of this series, we've covered the first 11 chapters. So I feel like I'm doing pretty good. I would challenge any of you to do Romans in less than that. And uh, now we're coming to a big switch. There's a big switch in the, in the book of Romans. And the first 11 chapters uh, essentially are, you could sum, up, sum them up in three words. And of course, there's more to it than this, but you could sum them up in three words, justification by faith. And so the first 11 chapters are centered around this idea of God's mercy to us, rescuing us from ourselves, rescuing us from eternal judgment, God's mercy and goodness to us, okay? And so if the first 11 chapters are all about God's mercy and what God has done for us, the big switch now in chapters 12 through 16, the last five chapters is if the first 11 are about what God has done for us, the last five chapters are about how we are supposed to live in response to that mercy, Okay, and so we can't leave. Now, the thing, is, my, my concern over the next few messages I'm, as I'm working at this is, and, and today's chapter 12, is uh, sometimes people just want to get straight to the practical stuff. They just want to go straight to, you know, uh, I don't want to get into all the theology stuff. I don't want to get, just get me to what I have to do. And so I just want, we just want to go and, and, and study Romans 12. We want to study 13, 14, whatever it is, and get the practical implications. The only problem is if you, if you divorce the doing in the last five chapters from what God has done for us in the first 11, there's no power to it. The last five chapters of Romans flow out of, it's, it's a response. It's not an island on itself. Otherwise, the last five chapters just become a bunch of condemning do's and don'ts. You have to love people. You have to be merciful. You have to do this. You have to do that. But the point is, the last five chapters, they come at the end because there's a reason. We're supposed to be so uh, taken, so full of gratitude, so pumped and excited and joyful for what God has done for us as described in the first 11 chapters, that out of that flows a merciful, loving, grateful life. That's how Romans is supposed to work, and that's how life is supposed to work. And so we're going to pray, and then we'll get into this. Thank you, Jesus, for the book of Romans, and I pray that you would speak to us over the next couple of weeks as we get into the real practical stuff, and that you would empower us to live this out. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So keeping the first 11 chapters firmly in mind, Romans 12 verse 1 starts this way, I appeal to you therefore. And remember, the therefore is referring to the first 11 chapters. Chapter 12, 13, 14, 15, and 16 do not stand on their own. I appeal to you, therefore, based on what God has done for us, based on God's goodness to us, based on God's mercy, based on this incredible gift of justification that's totally free, okay? I appeal to you, therefore, based on those things, brothers and, of course, sisters, by the mercies of God, okay? It's only by the mercy of God. I can't emphasize that enough. Chapter 12 is all about living a life of mercy, okay? Most of the last five chapters is all about living a life of mercy. But you don't live a life of mercy because you have to. You live a life of mercy only after you've encountered mercy. And when you receive the mercy that God has given us, by the mercies of God, now we are to live lives 
oozing with mercy for others. So I appeal to you, therefore, based on everything that we've discussed thus far, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, this is, again, this is one of those famous verses in the Bible. There are certain verses that just kind of stand out in our popular consciousness more than others. Uh, They're on plaques, they're on the radio, and this is certainly one of them. And most of the time, obviously, if you're just going to quote one verse, you're not going to get it in its context, and that's usually what happens with this verse. Is, and, and again, it's not all bad. I mean, the, the verse stands on its own. It's really important. We need to have our minds renewed. But the thing we have to remember is this, this verse about having our minds renewed does not stand on its own. This comes after the therefore. This is a linking between the first 11 chapters what God has done for us and the last five chapters of how we're supposed to live. And so often we talk about this verse, Christians, it's one of those popular verses, like I said, and we're all pumped. We're going to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And we just, yeah, we're, we're, you know, we're, we're transformed and we're renewed. But we actually don't know. We haven't answered the question, renewed in what? Renewed by what? What does that mean? For many Christians, having your mind renewed means we just need to read more good books and listen to messages and read more of the Bible. Well, amen to all of those, all wonderful things. I mean, reading good books and reading the Bible and listening to messages is a form of renewing your mind. You, just by learning truth, that is a form of renewing your mind. But it's actually not what Paul's talking about here. When he talks about having your mind renewed, this is steeped in the first 11 chapters of Romans. It's not just learning good things. He's talking about all the first 11 chapters. I appeal to you, brothers, therefore... That's where this statement is coming out of, the beginning of chapter 12. Therefore, based on the first 11 chapters, based on what God has done for us, God has been so merciful to us. He has been so loving. He has done something for us we couldn't do for ourselves. And he has freely given us this, this, this grace that we can't earn on our own. We can only receive it for free by faith. Based on that, he says, have your minds renewed. It's be renewed in the mercy of God. He's not just talking about random truth, even though, of course, there is something good about just learning. I'm not saying learning is bad. But when he talks about having your mind renewed here, he's talking about having your mind renewed by the grace and mercy and love of God. We need to receive God's love and mercy for us in our hearts before we can pour it onto others. It's not learning true facts that's cha- that changes you. It's receiving the reality of God's love for you in your heart. And when you begin to actually receive that, not just know it as a fact, but when you actually begin to receive the love of God in your heart, just not just know it as a fact, Jesus loves me, but when you begin to receive that, that I can trust God, that he's merciful for me, and you take those amazing truths of Romans 1 to 11, not that you always have to be thinking of Romans 1 to 11, but what they encapsulate, the truth that God loves us and he's gracious to us, as that begins to soak and seep into your heart, it causes gratitude to flow out, and that transforms you, which is what it says up there, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. It's not be transformed by learning. It's be transformed by the receiving and the gratitude and the accepting of God's love for you. Enter into that reality. You know, there's another 
parallel verse in the New Testament where Paul talks about having your mind renewed, and it's Ephesians 4.23. And, and I, I, if I had more time, I'd show you the whole context for this verse. It's really good. It's a close parallel passage. I don't, so I'll just put the one line in there. But Ephesians 4.23 says this, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And not just be renewed in facts, not just be renewed in learning. In fact, it doesn't even, it doesn't even touch on those things. But how you are renewed is to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. I mean, as parents, you can learn all the techniques, all the parenting techniques in the world, how to discipline, how to do that, how to do this, how to do that. But if your mind, if the spirit of your mind isn't bathed in mercy and grace, you can do all the right things and not have any fruit. Isn't that true? And you can learn all the ministry techniques and all the leadership techniques and you can apply them perfectly, how to do this, and how to lead a meeting, and how to organize, and how this, and how that. We can learn techniques for all kinds of things in life. But if the spirit of your mind isn't bathed in the mercy, and goodness, and love, and grace of God, you won't bear any fruit. You'll do everything right, and you'll totally be an empty shell. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Don't be renewed just in facts and truth. Be renewed by the grace and goodness of God. Receive it and be so overcome and grateful for it that your brain is bathed in grace and mercy. That is what transforms a person. How do we get our brains renewed and washed in the love of, and mercy of God. We're going to come back to Romans in just a moment. I just want to go to Titus for just briefly, another renewal passage. But how do we get our brains renewed and washed in the love and mercy of God? Titus chapter 3, Paul says this, but when the goodness and loving kindness, and I just, just stopped there, just look at those words again. What is it that renews us? But when the goodness and the loving kindness of God our Savior appeared. He saved us. See, he's, re, he's, he's just reviewing, encapsulating the truth of Romans 1 to 11 again. The goodness and the loving kindness of God, our Savior appeared, and he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. So here in Titus, he's just summed up everything he taught us in Romans 1 through 11. But going on, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of what? The Holy Spirit. By the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So how are our brains renewed? How are we soaked in God's love and mercy? Not just renewed by truth and facts, and good books in the Bible, but actually renewed in mercy and love, it's by the Holy Spirit. It's by the Holy Spirit. Okay? By the Holy Spirit, our minds are renewed. And I want you to notice there that line there, whom he has poured out on us richly. In other words, he's given us more than enough Holy Spirit to do the job. If you've given your life to Christ, and, and Pastor Ray talked about this a few weeks ago in the baptism of the Holy Spirit message, if, if, if you've given your life to Christ, you have more than enough Holy Spirit in you to do everything God's calling you to do and to have your mind totally and completely renewed in the mercy and love and goodness of God. He hasn't just given us a touch of the Holy Spirit. He hasn't given us barely enough. 
It says he has poured out his spirit on us richly, all those of us who have given our lives to Christ. So, of course, and that brings up the, the question, because some of us are sitting here and we're going, well, then how come am I so hard? Okay, because we're talking here about have, have your mind renewed in the mercy and the love of Jesus, not just renewed in learning, but that may be, that is something on its own, but that's not what Paul's talking about. But have your mind bathed in the mercy and love and grace of God. And we looked at the fact that it's by the Holy Spirit and there, we have had the Holy Spirit poured out on us richly. So why then, so many of us, are we still hard? I think there are a couple of reasons for this, why we haven't yet been renewed. And the first thing you have to understand is that it takes time. Sometimes we read these passages about the Holy Spirit being poured out on us richly and about having our minds renewed and about being made new creations. And we feel like certain of these passages, we look at them and we think, this should be something that happens quickly. I've had the Holy Spirit poured out on me. My mind must be renewed by now. But I think we can learn a lot about how God operates by looking at nature. Isn't that true? I really believe. We see a lot about God's character and God's traits in nature. And I think we can learn a lot about how God operates in our lives through nature. And, and so if I look at an oak tree, when God wants to make an oak tree, he takes 50 or 60 or more years. When God wants to make a fruit tree that bears fruit, if you plant that thing from seed, it's depending on what kind of fruit tree it is, but you could be t it could take 10 or more years. So when God wants to bear fruit, when God wants to make something, again, as I've talked about in the past, he's not in a rush. And I believe the same is true for us. He has been poured on us richly. He does want to renew our minds and bathe them in, his in, in God's love and mercy and grace. But it's going to take time, and we need to think of ourselves like trees because one of the things we need to do is we need to push, because one thing that we're different than trees is we can actually choose what kind of soil we're pushing our roots down into. We can choose what kind of soil we push our roots down into. And there are many ways in which we can push our roots down deep into the soul of God's love, but I believe one of the most important ones is a regular daily quiet time full of gratitude, fellowship with the Holy Spirit, and quiet reflection and prayer. And I'm not talking here about now, the moment I say those words, uh, you know, a daily quiet time. Some of you already have a wrong picture of what I'm talking about, and you're thinking, I've tried that already. But when I talk about pushing your roots down deep in the soil of God's love, I'm not talking about a daily quiet time in the way many Christians have done a daily quiet time, which is as a thing that I feel guilty about all the time, and I just do it to get through it, and I check off my boxes, and then I get on with the real part of my day. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is not a daily time of doing, but a daily time of resting, what I'm talking about is soul recharging, not something that tires you out, not something that drives you crazy and makes you feel guilty, but something that should feel many times like a glass of cold water on a hot day. Like sitting in the shade, you know, in the middle of a hot day of work. That's what I'm talking about. Not, uh, not a do, but a be, but a rest time every day. A rest in the midst of a parched, an exhausting life. And it is shocking what a soak like this in quiet and rest and love played out regularly over months and years will do to your mind. What a regular time 
to rest and recharge and fellowship with the Holy Spirit, not just do a bunch of things. Many people are exhausted by what they call devotions. They have this list that they have to pray through, and if they don't get through it, they feel bad. They have this list of chapters they have to read through, or they feel bad. They have all this list of stuff they do, and their devotions is just do, 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 just like the rest of their lives. What I'm talking about is a time of resting with the Holy Spirit. And that's why I just want to take a few minutes here. A quiet time like this, I believe, should have three major components. And, of course, there's other ones too, but, but I want to just talk about three. And, of course, don't turn these into tasks as well. Now Chris just gave me a new list of three things to do. And you've missed the point. The point is it's a quiet time of rest and, re- and recharging. But the first one is... Gratitude, Psalm 100, verse 4. And remember, time out for just a moment. We're talking about having our minds renewed. And if our minds get renewed, we're going to be transformed. But having our minds renewed isn't a matter of do, 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 learn, learn, learn. It's about having our minds bathed in the love and grace and goodness and mercy of God. So we need to have a regular time to rest, to push our roots down deep into that love. And one of the key components of pushing our Hearts down deep into the soil of God's love is gratitude. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. Thanksgiving is the key to unlocking the doors of your heart to the presence and grace of the Holy Spirit. He's already been poured out on you richly. But he says here through his inspired word, this is how we connect with him. Gratitude. It's a spiritual, biological, emotional, mental reality that gratitude unlocks that. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Now, some of you are sitting there and you're going, I've tried this. You know, I've done gratitude. And again, notice you've done it. You made gratitude a task. Congratulations. You took love, you took gratitude, you took it. We've, we've all done this. I've done it too. And we've taken it and we've made it a test. So I did it and it didn't do anything for me. And you know what? I've, I absolutely, absolutely and totally empathize and feel with you. For many years, I thought Thanksgiving was the most useless thing, except that the Bible kept telling me to do it. And Pastor Ray all, all, often does too, who's also dad to me. So you kind of get it on both fronts there. And I've, for many times in my devos, I remember uh, uh, years ago, like I would, I would just write on my list of things. Okay, I've got to be thankful. Okay, I guess. And it just seemed like the most pointless po- part of the thing. Like I've got to get to the important part, which is praying for people and lost people and things I need God to do in my life and learning things. So you go through your list of, well, just 10 things, good things in my life, and then you're done. And I remember, it was probably about 10 years ago, actually, about 10 or 11 years ago, I began to actually pray, like something's wrong with me. Like, why? I just can't get into Thanksgiving. I remember hearing someone speak once, said, you got, we got to become experts in gratitude. I said, I just don't know how to do it. I actually just began to pray to God, I need to learn how to be thankful. Okay, and I wish I could tell you that was the magic prayer, and the next day, it's just been 10 years of gratitude ever since. God just doesn't work that way, does he? He wants to see, are you serious about this prayer? He wants to see, do you really want this? And certainly over time, over the last number of years, there's been lots of fits and starts and, and, you know, going without and then doing it again and all that sort of stuff. But I can honestly say he's been faithful to that prayer and I've grown. I don't know, I'm not the, the expert in gratitude now or anything, but I've grown a lot from where I was. And it's an absolute fact now that often in my quiet times, I'll spend 15 or 20 or 25 minutes just being thankful. 
And you just, sometimes you just have to plug away with, at it, and you have to ask the Holy Spirit to help you. But it's actually become, over the years now, it's become a thing I don't just do. It's become a thing more and more and more that I am. I am grateful. And you don't just start there, but you, you move there, and, and it, it's true. It's absolutely true. You enter his gates with thanksgiving, that as you become grateful, it unlocks things in your heart that the Holy Spirit can now work. Your, your roots are going down deep into the soil of his love. And there's so many things we have to be thankful for. Many of us, if I asked you to be thankful for right now, you would think of there's this, the same three or four things from your life you're thankful for. But if you actually thought about it, if you were, had your eyes opened by the Holy Spirit to how much, how real God is in your life, you could look back at yesterday and spend 15 or 20 minutes every day. Just the way someone smiled at you or talked to you, how that felt, something God did in your life. It did, can be the smallest things. But instead of thinking on all the small things that you hate, you start to think about the small things in your life were of God's goodness. How the sun felt that your kids love you. Or at least maybe that they don't hate you. <laughs> or whatever it is. And you just begin to be grateful. Gratitude changes everything. And it might not be natural to you, but it doesn't change the fact that it's an absolute necessary component. If you want to be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and if renewal, as I'm saying to you, isn't just about learning, if it's about being, then gratitude is the doorway you're going to have to walk if you're ever going to be renewed and transformed. You're not going to be renewed and transformed apart from being a grateful person, which then brings up the second component of a healthy, recharging, quiet time which is meditate on the goodness of God in the Word. Notice I didn't just say meditate on the Word. Something happens as you, over time, begin to grow in gratitude, as the Holy Spirit begins to open up your eyes to His goodness and mercy in your life. Now when you open the Bible, you're not just opening it to get through your six chapters or your ten chapters or whatever thing you're trying to get through. Now you're opening this thing and you're not just looking for God hit me over the head with some new thing to inspire me. But now at, coming with the doors of gratitude unlocked, now when you open the Bible, you lovingly open it. And whether you open it to the Old Testament, the Psalms, the Gospels, or the rest of the New Testament, wherever you open it, you will find the goodness of God in every page. The faithfulness, the mercy, the love, the grace. And you're not just meditating randomly trying to learn facts. You will learn things. But what you're doing when you're in the Word is the Word. Jesus said this to the Pharisees. You search the Scriptures because you think the Scriptures give you life. But the Scriptures point to who? Me. Not, not Chris Dirksen. <laughs> Jesus. I'm just quoting him. The Scriptures are supposed to point us to the goodness of God. Amen. And you know, the more I walk with Jesus the more I think about his love in all its various facets. And I've read this, some of the, uh, you, if you read biographies, I've read a lot of biographies, you read some of the great men and women of the faith throughout Christian history, and one of the themes you'll find in many of them is the more they walk with the Lord, the more their time with God is all about meditating on his goodness. You want to know what's a lot more recharging than just thinking about your weakness is thinking about his goodness. And you just find more and more in your quiet time, instead of praying about all the things you're worried about, you turn your face to the one who loves you and is faithful and good, and you meditate on his goodness and faithfulness. That will change you. 
That will change you. Meditate on the goodness of God in the word. We're talking about having our minds renewed because if they're renewed, we're going to be transformed. And we're not renewed and transformed by learning. We're renewed and transformed by God's mercy and goodness and grace. That's the whole point of the Bible, to point us back to God. And then this brings us to the third component of a powerful and recharging quiet time. Soul food, soul recharging And that is fellowship with the Holy Spirit. This is where you talk to the Holy Spirit about your feelings. You've been grateful. And again, don't please don't turn these into tasks that I've just given you three things and you do your devotions always the same way. I'm I'm showing you elements of what you are throughout your quiet time. But as you're grateful, as you meditate on the goodness of God, I can't tell you, if you went through my journal the last six months, literally, it's like a broken record, and yet by the Holy Spirit, it's fresh every day. How often the last six months I've thought about his faithfulness and his mercy and his goodness, and it's just fresh every morning because I actually need his mercy again every morning. And coming out of this mindset as your heart is unlocked more and more to the goodness and the faithfulness of God and gratitude how he's working in your life, Now as you fellowship with the Holy Spirit, now you tell him, Father, Holy Spirit, I'm I'm feeling stressed about this. I'm I'm feeling a little afraid of this. And you start to talk to him just about how you feel. You're not hiding things. You're not trying to put anything on. You just trust him. And you're so thankful for how he's at work. And usually when I talk to the Holy Spirit and I tell him I'm stressed about something, he usually asks a question, why? Because he just wants to peel me open like an onion. He always wants to take us right to the core of what's going on. Well, why are you stressed about that? Well, uh, I guess because I'm worried about this. Well, why are you worried about that? And he'll just ask you why, and he'll just peel you open, and you just talk, you have a conversation with him. By the way, if I can just make a recommendation, I sometimes see people who spend their whole devotional time, they don't write anything down, they don't type anything, and it's, they, they want to just sit there and just try and, and pray in their minds. And maybe some of you can do that, and, and God bless you. If I don't write things down, I am going to fall asleep, think about football, or think about some other random thing. For sure. You sit me down right now. Give me 15 minutes in the prayer room right now. If I don't have a pen in my hand, you put on some nice music, and I'll sit there and try to have a conversation with God in my head. I am going to fall asleep, or think about football, or think about some other random thing. So I I just write it out. I write out everything because it just focuses you. And I just write them out. Holy Spirit, I'm, I'm, I'm worried about this. I'm worried about that. And then, why? Well, I guess because of this. And then this, and then this. And then eventually he gets the core motivation. You shouldn't be afraid of that. Or can't you trust me with that? Or scripture verses start to come and they start to minister to you. This is what a quiet time is. And when you have fellowship with him and you're grateful and you meditate on your goodness and you start to ask some questions like, Holy Spirit, I'm tired of praying these worried prayers about so-and-so or these worried prayers about this and this situation. Uh, What are you praying about that situation? Because I love the Holy Spirit always prays with hope and it's way more pump you up to pray his prayers of hope than to pray your prayers of worry. So I ask him, what are you praying about that? And then I start to get thoughts. Oh, that's how you see it. Oh, that's right. You're in control of everything. Oh, thanks for reminding me of that. Oh, we can't lose. This is amazing. You're worshiping him. You're praying to him. When your quiet time begins to begin, become like that, it'll be the best 30, 40, or 60 minutes of your day. You won't have to do it all the time because you're disciplined to do it. You'll want to do it because, again, it's like a glass of cold water on a hot day. And it's in that kind of a relationship with the Holy Spirit 
that your mind is being bathed in the love and mercy of God. And the more your mind gets bathed in the love and the mercy and the goodness of God, the more you turn around and the rest of chapter 12 becomes automatic because you begin to ooze mercy and love and grace for other people. We've got to push our roots down deep into the soil of God's love. Okay, so that's, that's one reason why the Holy Spirit has been poured out on us richly, but our minds haven't been renewed, is it, take, it takes time, and we have to diligently push our roots down into his love. There's a second reason, though, and if we go back to Romans here, we're going to see it. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. To present your bodies as a living sacrifice. I can't think of any more vivid imagery of what the Christian life is supposed to be than this, a sacrifice. You're no longer living for yourself, to serve yourself, to have a comfortable life, to have an easy life, but now you are giving up your life to serve God, okay? And here's the thing. The Holy Spirit doesn't fill you with power for a life of living for yourself. So one reason why many Christians who've had the Holy Spirit poured out on them richly, but their minds haven't been renewed, their minds haven't been bathed in God's love. One reason is because they just haven't taken the time to push their roots down deep into his love. But a second reason is because many Christians have never given up their life. They, they asked Jesus into their heart, but they've never given up their life as a living sacrifice to God. And here's the thing. The Holy Spirit does not fill you with power so you can live for yourself. This is a big reason why lots of Christians are not filled in the fruit of the Spirit and filled with the love of God. And, and you, look at, I mean, you look at two sets of Christians. Some Christians, by the Holy Spirit, I don't know all the reasons why and why not. But you look at two groups of Christians. Some Christians just seem to intuitively get this. I don't even know if they could even put their finger on it. But they gave their life to Christ, and they're far from perfect, and there's lots of weakness. But they somehow knew that giving their life to Christ was giving their life to Christ. And you just watch their life. And they just, they, just, they just get it that it's not just asking Jesus into my heart. My whole life is now a sacrifice, which means you can see it in their time and energy and what they think about and their finances. You can actually see it, that their life isn't theirs. I'm, I'm giving my life up. And they have lots of problems in their life, but you watch them over a number of years and you can see the Holy Spirit working in their life. Well, why is the Holy Spirit working in their life? Because they've put themselves up on the altar and they said, my life's not for me, it's for you. And then you have another group of Christians, which I lovingly will just say are duds. They're not horrible monsters. They're not terrible people. I'm not going to rail against them and say they're terrible people, but they're just duds. They got saved at the same time. They both go to church every single week. And at first, there's not much of a difference, but 10 years down the road, why is it that this group over here, there's a softness there? There's a transformation. It's taking time. It's sometimes slow. But there's something about these people over here. And these people just don't have it. Did the Holy Spirit pick and say, I like these ones and I don't like these ones? No. He was poured out richly on all of us. So how come these ones aren't experiencing the benefits? And part of it is because they've never really internally decided, I'm not living for me. And as long as you're living for me, 
You can have the Holy Spirit poured out on you as richly as you like. There's not going to be much fruit. Now again, as I say this, I don't say this even as a guilt thing because remember, this is all rooted in the first 11 chapters of Romans. Which is, we don't give our lives as a sacrifice because a preacher yelled at us to do it. We do it because we're steeped in the reality God has saved me from hell. And he loves me. And there is only one right way to respond to that, and that is out of gratitude and with joy. I want to give my life back. If you don't want to give your life back to him as a living sacrifice, it means you don't really get what he's done for you. Because if you got it, if you got it, this is what the love of God does. It ravishes you from the inside out. You want to give back to him. You want to give it all. It's your joy. It's your pleasure to live for him. It's your joy. It's your pleasure. And that's everything in the rest of the book of Romans. Some of you may want to leave right now before you hear any of the rest. Because the very next thing Paul's going to talk about now is serving in the body. We just, I love how the Holy Spirit works things out. You might sometimes think we're brilliant at planning and timing messages. Oh, he timed this one right for Membership Sunday. Absolutely not. Had no idea even really what Romans 12 said. I mean, had a little bit of an idea, but didn't think about it until Thursday morning early, okay? So lots of prayer goes into these things. Desperate prayer starting early Thursday morning. And, uh, and I realized as I went into this, I'm like, this works out perfect for Membership Sunday. So thank you, Holy Spirit, for timing this one out again. But verse 4 of Romans 12, now Paul's going to say, you're renewed, you're transformed, the Spirit's been poured out on you richly, you're so grateful for all that God has done for you, and this is how you will respond. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. This is the practical outworking of giving my life as a sacrifice to God is I give my life to the body of Christ. I no longer belong to myself. Of course, this is where things get messy. A lot of people will be like, I'm glad to give my life to God, but not to his people. I mean, I've had experiences here at Southland, right? Some of you are saying you've had bad experiences here. We all have. Because you know what? We're all people. But some of you are going, well, I, you know, I'm not giving my life there because so-and-so... You know, I work with him, and he goes to Southland, and he's done bad things. I've seen him at Southland like twice at least, and he says bad things, and that someone hurt me when I was serving. It gets a little messy, doesn't it? But this is actually the practical outworking of giving our lives to God. There isn't an altar somewhere where I can climb up on it and give my life to God. How I give my life to God is by giving my life to his body here on earth, which is the church. It is messy. Verse 6, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let me just read that again, I'll be a broken record. Let us use them. I think the New Testament writers would have had their minds boggled by how many North American Christians think being part of a church is going to church. I think the New Testament writers would have had their minds boggled. The concept 
that being the church is just going to church would have shocked them. The Christian life is not about going to church every week so somebody else can minister to me. The Christian life is about me, out of gratitude for what God has done for me, ministering to others. That is absolutely what it means to be part of a church. To be the body is not to come and just listen every week to someone else talk to you about the Christian life. It's about me being so full of what God has done for me that I want to minister it now to others. Now, of course, someone might say, I just don't have any gifts to use for God. I'm not a teacher. I'm not a musician. I'm not this. I'm not that. But whoever said you had to have talent to serve God? Whoever said you have to have talent to serve God? See, we tend to read, here in North America, we're so self-focused. We, it's, it's all about, I just want to have, it, it's not even really about serving. We serve in order to be important. So I want to be good at something. I want people to affirm me. So when I read about God giving me gifts, we automatically read talent in there almost every time. So God's given me a talent at something. Well, amen, God does give talents. And he does give gifts and abilities. But he has given us far more gifts than just talent. And when he says to use your gifts in the body, he is talking about so much more than just talent. Has he given you money? And I'm not even just talking to the rich people. Has he given you money, little or lots? That's a gift. Use it generously for the kingdom. Has he given you time? Well, if you're here today and you're living and breathing, the heart's still beating as you listen to me, you have time. Use it for him. That's a gift. Do you have a body? That's a gift. Use it to serve God. Can you pick up a baby? Can you sit at a table with some kids? Can you wash a window? Can you pick up a chair? It don't, you don't have to be important. You don't have to be good at anything to serve God. When you actually catch on to the fact of how good he's been to you, it's no longer about how can I be important and get meaning in life. It's just I have to give myself back to him. I'm so happy for how much he loves me. Do you realize that every week here at church, I'm just going to pick on one, there's many other places. And by the way, can I just say this too? Not all service has to be here within these church walls. When we talk about serving the body, some of you are called to do big kingdom things outside these walls, and we don't want you to say no to what God's telling you to do out there so you can come in here and do something in here. You're called out there, then you're called out there, you go and do it. And you may have taken on some leadership position or you are doing something with fostering or adopting or whatever. There's all kinds of things where God calls you. I don't want you to feel guilty. Some of you, you are serving all out and you're outside these walls. I don't want you to hear me putting a guilt trip on you that you also need to be here in these walls. My point is, you have gifts from God. Your whole life is supposed to be service to him. But let me just pick one area. Do you realize that every week here at church we have more than 1,100 kids come into this building? Say, I don't know what I'm good at. You don't have to be good at anything. Can you love some kids? You know, we have sometimes in our uh, fours area, we'll have 90 kids in this service, in our, in our fours area. You say, well, I'm not good at that. You have to be good at that? To just love some kids? You know the difference? Pastor Ray talked about the hemorrhaging report before. 
how middle school students from Christian families across this nation are leaving the Christian faith in droves. And you're sitting there twiddling your thumbs trying to figure out what I'm good at? They just need an adult, a young adult, someone to take some time to get off the couch, to not watch so much TV, to invest in them, to show up on a Sunday morning, to show up on a Wednesday night, and just take some kids and love them and show them that there's more adults that love Jesus than just their mom and dad. You say, well, I don't know what I'm talented at. You just, you've been loved so much by God, you don't got to be talented at nothing to give him back some time and some love. And so we finish with this. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness, whatever you have, whatever you've been given, use it to serve God cheerfully. Not because of what you can get out of it, not so you can find meaning and purpose in life, but just so you can say thank you to our Father in heaven. And don't be stingy. Don't be stingy. You know, serving in a soup kitchen once a month or greeting people at a door once a month is a fine and wonderful thing to do. But is that alone putting your body on the altar for God? Thank you for dying for my life. I'll give you once a month. I'm not telling you to quit the once a month. Do the once a month, but give your life to Jesus. And the way you do that is not just by an emotional response in a service. It's by giving your life in action to serve him. Well, you can do one of three things with this message. We'll get to the one where you stomp out of here angrily right at the end. <laughs> for a number of you, you're already living this life. One of the things I love about this church and that other pastors, when they come here for church new weekends, comment about the Holy Spirit is doing a work here of transformation, and they can tell it because of the way so many people here joyfully sacrifice their lives for the kingdom and serve. And there's a number of you like that here this morning. Here's what I want you to do with this message. I want you not to feel guilty that God's asking you to do even more. I want you to feel encouraged to just keep going. Then there's some of you that you're here and you're not serving right now, but you're in a season of life, hurt, some kind of disaster. You need to heal up a bit. There are seasons like that that happen in our lives where you just can't. I don't want you to hear this as a beat down. I don't want you to hear this as you got to feel guilty. You need to just keep getting healed up and keep getting love. And then at some point, God's going to put you in a place and you're going to be so grateful and you're going to serve him again. And then there's the third group. Some of you here need to go home and either get really, really mad at me or be convicted and change. And I'm serious about that. Don't pretend that this message didn't happen. I'm either teaching you what's actually in the Bible or I'm not. If you plan to do nothing with this message, then you should go home at dinner and you should blast me and I won't feel bad. Don't email it to me because I just don't care. But say it behind my back and it'll be fine. But I want you to just blast away and be really upset because that Chris is trying to manipulate us. What he taught us is not actually in the Bible. If this is not in the Bible, you should just blast it and be mad at it and happily, grumpily, and miserably continue carrying on with your life. Or you can be convicted 
that Jesus loves you so much, and maybe this actually is what Paul is telling us to do. In which case, sacrificing your life for him is like the happiest, most wonderful opportunity in the world. And you'll find over time, it won't happen overnight, and lots of serving is far, far, far from glamorous. But you talk about the duds and the ones where they're being renewed, and you look 10 years, don't think about next week, don't think about next month. Think 10 years, 15 years, 20 years down the road, the kind of life and person you want to be is you want to be these ones that have put their lives on the altar and see how the Holy Spirit will change your life. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this church family. Thank you for your goodness to us. We have an opportunity to use our lives. And there's not a shortage, Father. Some people here are wondering. They want purpose in life. We've got hundreds and hundreds of kids. We've got many other things to do too, but we've got so many, such a harvest before us, Jesus, that we can impact and we can bear fruit for eternity. I pray for all of those who are already living this journey and they're going all out. Would you encourage them today? This week, as we work on pushing our roots down deep into the soil of your love, would you touch us with an increased sense of your faithfulness and mercy? And as we're overcome more and more and more by your love and gratitude, Father, that we would begin to then ooze that for others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Southland Church. For more information or to download this and many other messages, please visit us at myselfland.com.